0: Aliens and flying
1: saucers, flying, saucers, flying saucers Hey, welcome to the 111th episode of Two Writers Slingin' Yang. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm a former Sports Illustrated senior writer, former ESPN columnist, and the author of multiple New York Times bestsellers. The music you're listening to is Croissants from the great MC Whiteout. And this podcast is an ode to writing in all forms, from sports writing to screenwriting to music critique to self-help to song lyrics to whatever genre I'm thinking of. And today's guest is actually the man whose music you're listening to, the gifted, creative MC White Owl. And I've been itching to do this one for a while, because the owl has this really unique way of words, uh, of seeing language, of mushing syllables together and expressing himself via song. So I thought it'd be cool to talk writing and hip-hop, as well as what the hell was he doing naked on a stage in Kentucky during a blackout with a giant foam penis. Yeah, you heard that right. So let's kick back, turn down the Nas or the Dre or the Jay-Z or whatever you might be listening to, and sling Yang with the Owl on two writers singing Yang. All right, Aaron, first of all, thank you so much for doing this.
2: Don't ever call me Aaron again or I disconnect the call immediately. My name is White Owl. First and foremost, and if I get called my government name again, I disconnect the call last morning. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> What's
1: up? You, um, well, first of all, you're the, you, <laughs> you're the first, Woo-hoo! all your dreams are coming true. All your dreams yeah. are coming true. Yeah. Hip hop is taking you to a new, uh, a new frontier. Here's what I want to, I want to start with. How does one freestyle? What I mean is like, I don't even know what goes through the brain.
2: You got to know a ton of words and what goes through the brain everything I do is in the rain when I'm in pain, but in vain either way I'm in main stain. cane come on you know the, the no never tame come on, it's never lame. this is the flow that's insane I mean you just need to know a lot of words, but you know that because that's absurd <laughs> doesn't mean does it do
1: you feel like there's an allowance when, when someone is freestyling? Is there an allowance that okay this probably isn't going to mean very much? you
2: know what I mean like could you freestyle no. deep? Yes, of course you get the free. I think I can freestyle deep thoughts, but I think the bar has been set so high by like KRS1 and Black Thought and, um, so many other people that actually freestyle well that I, with all due respect to most MCs, I really don't want to hear what you have to say that bad that I need to hear you make it up off the top. You know what I mean? Yeah. You have to be really, really proficient to, you know, there was a guy named Supernatural who I believe is still around. He kills it all the time. Black Thought again. KRS1 is the greatest of all time. You know, after that, you know, how, how pun laden and how many synonyms can you fit in a freestyle before you realize that it's not actually a freestyle? So there's freestyle, right? Just writing it off the top right there, speaking what you see. Then there's fritten, which is the combination of freestyles and written, which is like what I think you're referring to a lot of the people do, a lot of MCs do that. Um, I don't know that I like written. So for me, that's. When you hear someone go on the radio and they say, okay, you're going to freestyle now. Nowadays, sadly, what that means is you're going to rap over a beat that you're not selecting. The DJ selects the beat and then you get, you have to catch the, um, you know, catch the vibe and and spit to it, but that's usually not a freestyle. That's written, something premeditated, but, um, I'm good at freestyling. Usually when I'm angry, I freestyle better or when there's a reason to do it, like if someone tempts me and there's a beat on. To me, you get no credit freestyling, even if it rhymes, without a beat on. That doesn't do anything for me at all. And and again, it's got to be pretty deep. And Eminem and a couple other guys from that generation kind of put that to bed for me. I just don't want to hear about it anymore.
1: It's funny because my favorite, certainly growing up, my favorite rapper was Chuck D of Public Enemy. And uh, he literally said in the rap he got game, I don't freestyle much. And he never freestyles. And uh, I think some people think that takes away from a legacy. He and also,
2: actually... he also said, "I never rhyme for the sake of riddling. Just I don't rhyme just to rhyme. I rhyme with for a reason. Right? It makes sense. It all it all has to be with something. But I hear you. He's he's an amazing MC and an amazing poet and an amazing speaker with phenomenal points. you, you have an interesting background,
1: and I always like it's funny. So I met you maybe f- fifteen years ago, and I was at your brother in law's house. And we were talking. I think we were talking about a tribe called Quest. I actually remember this. There were CDs on the shelf. I was looking through it. I was talking. To I think, I think Larry said to me, "Oh yeah, my brother-in-law is, is you know, hip hop everything." And we started talking about tribe called Quest, and you said, "Why?" You know, I was in this group once, and we got playing on MTV. And I was like, "Okay, whatever. Okay, you know, didn't ble- actually did not believe you," and you called up on YouTube a video for a for a group called Bad Ronald. And uh you were you were in this group, It was a foursome a hip hop foursome early 2000s let's begin was the
0: name of the song space like like the lake it forgetting what I know my girl told me to wait but I had to come and go steady with the flow my feet to the you're gonna
2: you're not I love that First of all hold on first of all it was not hip hop it was a You're right hybrid. After. It was like a hybrid morph of rap music, you know, just being the the lowest denominator of rap, which is just right. rap with some rock and roll guitars. <laughs> I was a hip hop MC and a DJ, and then the other people came in after. We were kind of assigned to each other. That's you were like making was.
1: the band. You were like making the band.
2: No, it was way cheaper than that. It was I was working at a recording studio. I told you, and I sent out demos, and a guy called me. He was a producer, and he said. These are good, but I'm going to put you with a producer. He was a producer, and he said, I'm going to put you with a producer who's going to make these better. And that producer was making, like, cheesy pop rock and roll combos. So me and that guy got together. They assigned us a DJ who happened to be a hip-hop DJ and was very good. Uh-huh. But he was young, and he really didn't have much experience. And then we had another guy in the band that rapped who was all right, but he got called to the Marines, which right there is a red flag. So you know it's not a hip hop group. Somebody's joining the Marines, and then um, he went to the Marines. That guy, and we just needed a fourth member. So I grabbed somebody from high school, who's my brother's, uh, my younger brother's friend. But the thing that you know, I had been making music since on on tape since '92, and that happened in 2001 to me. I spent my entire, you know, college career at Binghamton four years on the radio, talking, rhyming. I worked at a recording studio after school for a couple years. So for me, it wasn't like that much of a shock. I kind of thought I was going to get a record deal, which at the time is a little asinine looking back. It, it shouldn't have happened. It was a farce, but regardless, it was a good experience. But why do you, it's so interesting. You
1: had a song, it was played on MTV. The album, as we've discussed and, uh, you know, together came out, literally came out on September 11th, 2001, fell off the face of the earth. But you, seems like you look back in the way Without the money, Vanilla Ice might look back on Ice Ice Baby or guys might look back at some of their songs that they sort of regret. Is it, is that worked, inaccurate?
2: No, that's totally accurate. I worked at a hip hop label when I was a senior in high school as an internship. I, you know, uh, traveled around the city and around the tri-state area as a DJ with vinyl records and really put a lot of time into hip hop. And I was actually a uh, proficient hip hop writer as an MC and, and I was on the battle circuit, you know, in the nineties before that happened so that was kind of like an embarrassment for me and it and it definitely took it set me back a little bit there was people that i had seen out after it was done they were like dude you know you could have got a better record deal than that why would you just settle for that at the time it was for money it's not i it's not that i'm that i'm embarrassed about it or that i you know i listen it's it was it was a project put together for the sole purpose of making money we tried to whore ourselves it didn't work case closed it's over It's not that good. I have six albums since then. It was, you know, really it was a bad experience for other reasons. Someone that I had known that I had um my brother was friends with, as I said, acted out of control, was kinda like an egomaniac. Some of the other guys in the group that were affiliated were just like pure pawn scum. Our management was a little shady. It was you know, we blew money on worthless things. Looking back, I should have taken the check, put in my month of work and just skated. That would have been the the more appropriate move. Rather than that, I hung on for a little while and tried to save whatever face I could, but it was just not a great project. Are there lessons
1: to be learned? Like, were there lessons to be learned from the experience?
2: Sure. Um, don't expect much from a major record label if your music sucks. <laughs> that was number one. <laughs> yeah. Um, number two, you know, who cares about being on MTV? You no know, big deal. Yep. Um, number three, it's not what you know. It's who you know. Number four, you know, never get. But naked and pull out an inflatable pink penis in front of 10,000 people in Kentucky because if the lights go out and the power goes off, which it did, you'd be stuck on Wait, stage. Wait, is that a true a, story?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You're performing in Kentucky and you got naked on stage and pulled out an inflatable penis? Yeah. Well,
2: <laughs> when you repeat it back like that, it sounds uh, pretty funny, but no. I, I mean, I, who I, hasn't? <laughs> I have a picture I'm going to send you. Oh, uh, when we get off. I, I thought you had seen it, but actually it wasn't inflatable. It was, um, stuffed. It was a, uh, like a four and a half, five foot stuffed penis, like a stuffed animal, but it was furry and pink. And I used to pull my pants off and like run around stage in my boxers, like a maniac. A lot of what I do doesn't translate, I think, unless you see me in person. A lot, uh, it's a lot easier to swallow who I am, I think, when I'm up close in your face. A lot of people I know have said to me, you know, I didn't want to accept what you are until I saw you and you rapped in my ear. Then you're not going to tell me that it's not what it is, because it is. I'm from New York, and it just happens to be what it is. But it would probably be be easier to dismiss it if you saw it on TV. You'd say, this guy's not real. This isn't real. You know what I'm saying? Just like maybe, you know, people say that about other people, but just changes when you're up close. My I know how to rhyme. It's not a gimmick, and I know how to DJ, too. So it just happens to be that maybe it doesn't translate well. Bad Ronald did not translate well. The guys in the group had talent separately, but the components together did not, you know, the sum was not greater than the parts.
1: I am going to say to you though, before we move on, you have a 34 second song. I don't care what you say. I don't care if you disagree with me a thousand times over. Delivery. Oh, the
2: Chinese food delivery. listen, that was something that I practiced for years. I appreciate it. That was like, that was not a freestyle, by the way. That was a fritten. That was parts of a freestyle and parts of a written. I would you know, thought about those lines before. And I used to phony phone call people all the time and rap to them, which was funny in the old days before, like, the jerky boys ruined it. So that's what that was. We called up. I wanted to order Chinese food. And we called and recorded it, and it worked. 38, right? Yeah, 38. 39? All right. Uh, there's a whole bunch of people here, man. We I don't know what we want. You ready? Yeah, yeah. I want you ready? To me. We're going to do it like this.
0: Ready, man. Ready, ready, <laughs> Yeah, I'm ready to <laughs> to do it like this. Oh, fried wontons, roast pork, main. sesame chicken, no sauce, just plain. Sweet and sour pork, deliver to the cribs, No peas or vegetables on the side. Barbecue rib, bullshoe shrimp, pancakes, three. two hot and sour soups, no MSG. A soda on the side. Do it like that, and girl, when you make that beef, hold the cat.
2: Um, and it was a good idea. It was my idea that you know I had wanted to use before. And you know what i I had heard another artist say this years ago, and I do believe it's true. if you're a real writer like you are or like I am, and you and you actually plan through the years, maybe you've had something in your head for so long, a lot of the times it'll come to fruition if you just continue to pursue it in some way. so that was one yeah. of those like skits that just was going to come out one way or the other.
1: I still believe that one day that thing is just going to go super viral. I do. I think <laughs> someone's going to hear that and be like. Holy shit, that is a crazy! Because I know what you mean about that album. I agree with you what you're saying about that album. It's not you, but that one thirty four second sliver is <laughs> freaking genius. I don't care what you say; it's freaking genius. I hear
2: that. The albums, the albums got you know parts that were cool. Listen, one of the gentlemen that helped uh, produce it was one of the directors. I uh, one of the producers from Sublime. Uh, the guy's huh. name was David Kahn. and he. At the time was like, you know, there was, there were bright spots within the album. It was a party album. The guys who produced it, they were, they're, they're, you know, proficient producers, but, um, it just missed the mark because people were trying too hard. That's what it is. It was like a bunch of guys that basically probably were thinking, this is it. We got this one shot. And right. there were some other things that came out of that camp that were a success. They just, in my mind, they're just not that good. So I learned about you, and
1: I learned about your background, and I'm writing a book in 2010 called uh, Sweetness, and it's a Walter right. Payton biography. And I call you up, I think I called you up, and I was like, ah, oh, this is gonna sound kinda of dumb. I know exactly but- where I was when you called. I know where I was, I was at a Panera. <laughs> I was at a Panera. I called you up, and I was like, I know this is gonna sound dumb, but is there any way you would do a uh, like a, almost like a promo song for my book? And you're like, yes. I was like, okay, great. And then I remember when you sent it to me, it was so good. I You sent me a demo. I, I listened to it in my car. I ran inside to my wife. I was like, you gotta hear yeah, this.
0: Sweet. Sweetness what's his name as Game banananans. You've been waiting. I'm about to educate you about the Lake Great pay Walter Pat. Rest in peace, my dude, you was the best that ever did it. Herlman wrote the book. Listen as I spit it. Racial segregation discrimination. couldn't stop well, name a
2: defense. Was that easy? Was that, Was that easy? It was easy because Walter Payton's such an amazing guy that that was an easy topic to write about, absolutely. I didn't have to do anything. I had to just think about, you know, I had to, uh was it easy? I mean, it's never easy, right? But the M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I is pretty trippy part was fun. Yeah. The- oh and the alliance God, yeah. with the appliance size refrigerator, Perry. I mean, all that stuff is so juicy. How could you not come up with something good?
0: Corpse, chugging like a fairy Had an alliance with the appliance size Refrigerator Perry
1: yeah, how, do you, arm, okay. how does your brain work? Because that is a lot To me, the money line of that song Is an alliance with an appliance size Refrigerator Perry Which is so You could you could sit me down with a pen and paper And say you have five years to come up with your best Line for this song <laughs> That does not enter my head How does your brain work When you come up with lines So, like
2: that? over the years I've been writing rap since I was 10 years old, nine years old, whatever. Over the years, you just, you think of everything, man. You think of every single thing. I just thought of one the other day. It's in a song already, but it's, you're a tater tot too small in the body. I'm a judo, but you know that I know karate. (laughs) And that came from like, I heard the word judo. And I said, oh, shoot, I never really thought of it. It's judo. Like, I'm a judo. And I know karate. And it's like... The Refrigerator Perry, he was an appliance, right? And then you think, all right, Alliance, and it's just, you're going to do everything you have to do, and sit there and just work out the words, it's about wordplay, it's about obsessing over the meaning, double, triple entendres, whatever it might be, and some of the songs are a lot easier to uh, write than others, some of the lines are cornier than others, and you just have to... Scribble them out and start over. Listen, the king of that to me, you know, one of the guys that influenced all that is for me is Redman. He always Uh had these lines that were like, and Big Al also rest in paradise. He was another, uh, MC that you just heard his lines. He said, ask Beavis. I get nothing but head. And it's like, holy shit. Like, you know, you got to think about that. You might hear it. Biggie also, of course, rest in peace was, you know, the king of that also, like just words that. They take on so much more than what it is. So it's, that's what it's about. Just sitting down and always trying to find every possible combination and then apply it. That's all.
1: Are you, are you always like, will you be going about your day hearing words?
2: Yes. Yes. All day long. I wake up in the middle of the night and I start writing the lines. Absolutely. 100%. It's like you, you, I wake up, I have a a line that I had in a dream where I'm walking around in the daytime. In the morning is the time most, you know, commuting into work. I drive from uh, home to Manhattan. It takes about 30 to 40 minutes, and on the way, I always find myself saying, damn, I wish I had a pen or I wish I had an audio recording capability, and I do, and I just never, and a lot of times you, you, I, excuse me, I just let them go, but the ones that are the good ones are the ones that stick. And I know I've heard Jay-Z say he remembers them all. I remember some of them, and the good ones are the ones that usually end up being the songs that are the good songs.
1: There's a song by Royce the Five 5'9 called Caterpillar that he did with Eminem. And there's this line. It took me like seven times to hear it right where I was like, holy shit, where Eminem says, he goes, uh, you make a wax song and can't hold a candle, but even Daniel's son wax off, you jack offs. And he says, need to come to grips like a hand job.
0: In fact, you're exact opposite. You make a wax song and can't hold a candle, but even Danielson wax off, you jack offs. Need to come to grips like a hand job.
1: Need to come to grips like a hand job. I played that I thought that was, it's like simplistic and brilliant. It's almost like right. it came yeah. and go in a second and it's so freaking smart. I love that stuff.
2: Right, right, right. Like my girl told me to wait, but I had to come and go. Right. It's just, yeah, it's wordplay, man. And it's, what well, that's why anyone would write, I think. And that's why you listen to things and hear them. And that's one of the beautiful parts about like looking back when you were young about songs that mama's got a squeeze box, daddy can't sleep at night. You remember that rock and roll song? Mama's got a squeeze box. Mama's got a squeeze box. Daddy can't sleep at night. And a squeeze box is her (laughs) box. So, so much of that. It's like all these songs that, and that was, you know, that was, uh, one of the things when you're young, you're like, what are these people talking about? Which is why before this interview, you said to me, Hey, what are my, what are your favorite songs? And to me, every one of them is like a baby. I know where I was. When they were born, I know what went into the thought of them. I know which songs the beat wrote where, you know, I have songs that I love, but the beat just wrote it. I heard the beat, this the lyrics come out. Right. I, heard, I have songs that I've written and I say, that's not me saying that. Like, I wouldn't normally say that and that's really not me. Obviously, it's a side of me, but it's a side that maybe I don't like. And then most of the songs that I write are because I want to write them and the lyrics are being written anyway, but then you hear the beat and then you apply it to that. But it happens in different formats, and it works different with different producers. Some guys, you, they give you a beat, and you want to just write to it right away, and you be done with it. You give them what you got, and it's over. Other people, you, they give you a beat, you might want to spend a year. You know, I've had that problem with guys where they give me something, and I said to them, you know, if you want what I'm going to give you that's the best thing, you got to wait. I got to rewrite it, and it's got to be written and rewritten, and it's edited, like, many times. It's not just something that you just throw out, although maybe that's... Part of the problem with, uh, obsessing over stuff. But
1: when I write a chapter for a book, just an example, I write it. i read it and really like cut out the fat. Then I read it again and cut out more fat. I'll have someone else read it. They'll say, maybe cut this out. It's a lot about word elimination. Like people would think it's the opposite. People think you want to add more, but it's really about bare bone cutting out all the fat until it's just very smooth and very sleek. Um, is hip hop the same way or is it the opposite?
2: It just depends on the song and depends on what you're trying to do. I think probably hip hop that's on the radio, which is not really hip hop to me. It's, it's what you're saying. Cut it down. A lot of the hip hop that I think I make, maybe there's three verses and I have to cut it down to two, but it's not, that's not that much elimination. Maybe the chorus has to be trimmed down a little bit. My, uh, my, one of my producers that I work with, you know, one of my favorite DJs and just a great human being, uh, Fred Ones, DJ Fred Ones, who owns TME Pro as a producer he's always saying to me hey you know just leave out the leave out and leave out you know so he, that's somebody that he's there listening to you rap it and he knows my flow almost as good as i do at that point and he knows you know he's just a hip-hop head so he'll he'll be able to do that for me or some of the guys in certain ones this group that i work with or this group sophisticated savage the other mcs they're going to say to you hey that's not the typical you why don't you add something why don't you subtract something but Think mainly, it's just like you're saying. It's write, write the you know lyrics. Maybe it'll be 300 words, and then cut it down to 280. But for me, it's never, it's never planned like that. It's not usually. It's it's only for like a job or something that I'm writing for that I'm really consciously thinking. Usually, when it's for an album and it's for the pleasure of doing it, which is what most of my work is, it's just you write it, and I just want to make it sound good until I'm content with it, and it'll all work itself out. There's not that much stress involved.
1: Right. Um. I have two things to say. Number one, it's the who, and it's Mama's got a squeeze box she wears on her chest, and when Daddy comes home, he never gets no rest because she's playing <laughs> playing all night, and the music's all right. Mama's got a squeeze box. Daddy never sleeps at night. That's pretty freaking good. Well,
2: uh, right. And a squeeze box is a, a an accordion, but that's not what they're talking.
1: about. Yeah. Right. 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 Double entendre. Um. Right. And uh, so, so you wrote a song. I asked you. Um. I asked you to give me two of your favorite songs, and one of them uh chinese dreidels is one of my i I think it's a freaking fantastic song um i'll play a snippet of it here
0: this is chinese dreidels monster balls with ladles forget these phony labels they trying to finagle bet you bite a written spitting all up in your celly hit her right below the belly she programmed by the telly really i'm not trying to hear nothing that y'all saying blood suckers always praying i will leave you
1: soup to nuts what's the story of this song
2: soup to nuts what's the story of this song i was hanging around hanukkah time and i saw somebody was like hawking you know trying to sell chinese dreidels literally like plastic chinese dreidels and i turned on the tv the next day and i'm like you know everything is so cheapened nowadays Mm -hmm. like there's nothing that you can do where someone isn't ripping it off already and i'm like you know what there's so many guys that i know that are like they sound the same, they flow the same and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm an, I, and okay. Then there was an, during the course of writing right? When I'm like, all right, I'm going to write a song called Chinese dreidels. This producer that I know, Fat Cat Hayes, who's my partner, you know, in this album, we, we have an album done. it's not out yet, but Chinese dreidels is part of it. He gives me this beat and I'm like, this is perfect. You know, it's an angry beat and I'm going to, I'm going to write an angry rhyme. And it, that's what it is about. It's about the fact that everything is so cheap and that you can't do anything without like feeling cheap about it. And then it just all fell into place after that. It's, this is Chinese dreidels, matzo balls with ladles. Like I'm serving you up something that is real and it's angry and it's, it is what it is, but you're probably going to just take it to be something else because nobody ever takes Things the way that they should be taken. I feel like people interpret everything and they make it what, what they're going to make it, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it was just supposed to be a, a, you know, just a comment about society and th- there are parts of it that are super angry. And I've had people say to me, you know, what are you? One of these angry white rappers? Like, w-, and it's like, no, I'm a human being and I'm fucking angry. Like I'm allowed to be angry sometimes. I'm allowed to be happy overall. I'm a jovial guy, but push my buttons and I want to flip out and I do. You have the lyrics:
1: Another day, another dollar, another scholar got to die. I do not make the rules, and I do not ask why. I keep my head to the sky, mindful of jewels. Tessa Water, it's slaughter on any government mules. Are you literally sitting at a desk on a laptop? Do you have a pen? Like, where are you writing this stuff?
2: No, a lot of this stuff's like written at train yards, or si- sitting around in the uh, in the city on break from work, or just on the top of a building. Whatever it might be. That that song was written at a train yard, watching trains go by. And thinking about um, what I'm saying, which is that it's just the world is heading in a really scary place right now. And there's just nothing anyone can do about it. And another day, another dollar, another scholar got to die. I don't make the rules. I don't ask why. It's part of that is a conscious attempt to just sum up some angry feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to sit there and describe to you why the news is pissing me off or the fact that, you know, there's uh, mass incarceration by private industrial prison complex like locking people away for life for nonviolent drug offenses it's just i'm just trying to get right to the core of the anger in words so i'm trying to let the words choose the path kind of you do that and that's that's what comes out that's all it is
1: how do you know when a song is done
2: that's a great question how do you know when a song is done a lot of times for me i have to just end them i'm like all right this is it it's got to (laughs) be done now i have to be done with it or You just keep reworking it and working it, and it just doesn't stop. I have a friend, he'll remain nameless, he knows who he is, who's an unbelievable talented MC, But I don't like to work with him because he never gets anything done. He's been working on like the same three albums for 10 years. To me, that's worthless. I'd rather put it out and have people criticize it or misunderstand it rather than work on something and never release it. That That freaking infuriates me. And by the way, I have a lot of albums, you know, in bits and pieces. I've released four, five albums independently, whatever, on my own. Three of them are out. Two of them were pulled off the shelves, even though they exist in some physical form. But it's, I I hate doing that. Like, I really don't want to work on stuff and then not release it.
1: But what does an album even mean? Like you said, back when you were Bad Ronald, a CD comes out. Look, we're going to advance this with an MTV. We'll do a video. We'll be on MTV. We'll do interviews. The album will come out. You go to Tower Records, someone will buy it, hopefully, then we'll tour and promote it. Like, what is the goal for an artist in 2019?
2: Why anyone wants to do an album anymore is super debatable. Hip hop is a small community. To be mm-hmm. taken seriously by their MCs and by the radio, you have to just come up with new, um, material. If, if, listen, when I wrote the Walter Payton song for you in 2011, whenever it was, if, I, if you would have told me, hey, you'll be on Shade 45 XM Radio every month, And your music will be played and you can go up there. I would have never believed you. Three years ago, I went to visit a DJ that I know on FM radio and I'm like, wow, this is as good as it's going to get. You know, enjoy every minute of it. Uh Now it's getting better. So there's no real goal. Uh, You know, I, um, I support myself financially with a different type of job and everything else is just like icing on the cake. Is it just for fun? Um, for fun. No, it's a way of life and it's a commitment and it's probably never end. And I was writing songs. After Bad Ronald and I was DJing out and I was making a living DJing for a while before, um, vinyl was replaced in like 2004 and five. You know, I, before I moved out of Manhattan, I moved out of Manhattan in 2007, but before I did, I had like major do- jobs at clubs and was DJing all over. And that was really cool. That was a way of life. And that was a way to recover from like the shock of what happens at a record label. And then I think I forgot that I wanted to be an MC. I forgot about the point of it all. I always was writing, though I never stopped writing. And then, um, you, which is a great thing, woke me back up with that Walter Payton song, which I was—I heard that Walter Payton song and I liked it. I liked the lyrics, and I'm like, ooh, the music's not that good. And I can make it sound a lot. Oh better. yeah, yeah. And then I brought it to my friend Bruno, and he made it sound better. And when I was with him, he was working with uh, a couple major artists at the time, and I'm like, I almost sound as good as they do. Like, and they're practicing, and I'm not. So let me practice a little more. And then Bruno and I came out with an album called Higher Intelligence. And it was all right. And I'm like, "Ah, I heard it. I'm like, it could be better. So it's just an obsession, man. It's a hobby. It's not anything for financial gain, which is super empowering. You know, to to go to work every day and to make money in one thing and then to come home and do something that you love but not care what anyone thinks it does with it feels really good. And then to be able to, like, make stuff and, and sell records and have people call you from all over the world and be like, hey, this is really cool. How'd you do this? And then I got to go to South by Southwest and perform and all this interesting stuff. I'm part of this group, certain ones, all these doors open up and you're like, wow, this is very cool. And would I want to do it as a job? No. Would I want to go on the road 180 days or 120 days of the year and fly around to perform? No. Do I give a shit what anyone else thinks of me rapping? No. Do I think I'm better than 99% of the MCs out there that, you know, like are doing it for a gimmick? Yes. You know, is that conceited? Yes. Is it true? Yes. If you rhyme, if you rap like I do at the level that I do, you go on the radio, the odds are you probably think you're better than most people. Whether yeah. you are or not is probably, you know, that's debatable. It's all about opinion, but it just reaches that level where you're like, I've been doing this for a long time, and I used to be very good at it, so I probably could be that good again if I try. So, that's what it is.
1: You are Emmett Perlman's favorite rapper. I can't take <laughs> that away from <laughs> you.
2: Emmett! <laughs> <laughs>
1: Woo! <laughs> you- um, you, uh, you you wrote me an email like uh maybe uh, two months ago, and I hear a new song, and you did a song called Origami with Smooth B from Nice and Smooth, yes, and I was like, what the hell? Like, where did this come from? That's freaking great! First of all, the song is great. Time
0: yeah, to yeah, yeah.
1: How does, how does it happen that one day you're just doing a, sn- a song with Smooth B?
2: That's a crazy story, which I'd love to tell on two writers Slinging Yang. So, th- first of all, Bombirdo, Shout out to Bombirdo. There's a battle DJ from Ohio, from Columbus, Ohio, named DJ Bombay, a.k.a. Bombirdo. He came to New York like a year and a half ago. I heard some of his beats. I'm like, I want to make an album with this guy. We linked up. We made a couple songs. They sounded good. At the same time... I had a song that I had wanted to sample for a while. I sent it to him, and that was that song, um, I Love You More, which he sampled, made into that beat. I picked the sample. He made the beat, sent it to me. I'm like, I hear Smooth B on this. I always loved Nice and Smooth. Smooth B is one of my favorite rappers, no doubt, of all time. He's amazing. I mean, I his first album, this album Nice and Smooth by Nice and Smooth, I think it came out in 88. To me, that's like beyond the classic. It's just the high school anthem for me. Always wanted to work with him. Someone I knew knew him. Um, then another guy, Bruno Beats, that I'm friends with who's an engineer and does great music, he also knew him. He was like, I'm going to hook you up with Smooth B. You guys would sound good together. So Bruno called Smooth B a couple times when I was there a couple years ago, and he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll work with your man. Tell him to send music. Never heard back from him. Then I emailed him a couple times from my other friend. Never heard back from him. Then I was rapping on the street to somebody. And a guy came up to me and said to me, Oh, I didn't know you rap. And I said, you know, why would you? And he said, Well, I see you all the time. He's that guy is DJ Slick Nick and he works in Harlem on one twelfth street where I work. And he's like, I'm DJ Slick Nick from Nice and Smooth. So I'm like, Holy shit, you're you know, you're a slick nick. So I I'm asking him all these stories. So then I tell him, I'm like, Look, my friend Bruno knows Smooth B. You know Smooth B. He's like, Oh, trust me, I know him, you know, I'll make it work. I'm like yeah, he must have seen the doubt in my eyes. He Facetimed him, literally right there, and was like, "Smooth B, I'm with White Owl." Smooth B gets on the phone, and was like, "Yo, I wanted to tell you I actually like your music. I never do this. We'll do a song." So I'm like, "He's not gonna do it. He's just saying that." And then a couple months later, the the email came, and he said he wanted to do it, and that was it. It was an unbelievable pleasure to work with him. He filmed the video with me at TME Studios. My friend Son and Um Olise, who do all my videos, filmed the video with us. And he was—he's amazing. The guy—he's as good as you could possibly imagine. He has a son whose name is uh, Malachi, who's also an amazing MC. And the the two of them together was like a dream come true to do that project. So
1: you record it? Do you still do you record it with him, or are you doing your tracks completely separately?
2: No, that song was done. The beat and the song were done. I did the chorus and my part, and then I sent him the part. He wrote his lyrics and. Did it separately, and then we did the video together in person. But he wrote he wrote and recorded his lyrics in L.A., and I did mine in New York. And then we filmed the video together in New York when he came to uh, Harlem.
1: Is it a different song if you're together? Like, does it matter? I always wonder about that when artists record. You hear some duet. You'll hear like Patti Labelle and Michael McDonald do on my own, and you you would learn they weren't even together and they didn't sing together, and you think does it make a difference? If you For record that, it, that's a weird. That's a weird example. But does it make a difference if you're together with the person you're recording with at all?
2: Yes, definitely. For if it was me and Smooth B, it probably wouldn't have come out as good because he probably would have done his part as good as he did, and I would have probably been like nervous and messed my part up. But that was my huh. course that I really wanted to do, which was "It's all mathematics." Um, and he heard it and was like, "I really like." I I gave him a choice of beats, and he was like, "I really like that beat." Then I sent him the lyrics, and he's like, "Yo, my wife and I were talking." the other day about how everything is mathematically related and the odds of this, the odds of that. He was like, I totally believe in that. I got the song done a week later. He sent me the part and I'm like, I can't believe he said what he said. Like to me, for him to say what he says in his verse, I'm like, this is it. Like I'm done. I can retire. You know, he's, That's he's awesome. that big to me, man. Then he came and he said he was going to film the video. I'm like, he's not going to really do it. He's just being kind. He, sh- he called me. He was like, I'm in Harlem. Pick me up. I picked him up. He's like, as cool as you could imagine but cooler. And filming the video with him, he didn't, you know, I'm like spazzing out and like missing lines. He, he's just like one hour done. He's finished his parts. It was a wrap and that's it. It's perfect.
1: I had a songwriter on uh on this podcast a few weeks ago, and he felt the best songs are written by the young people in their twenties. He just felt like you're going through something in your life at that period. And it, it gives you an edge or maybe it's an uncertainty or you're hungry because you literally are hungry. Do you think in hip hop age matters?
2: Absolutely not. I think that's ridiculous. And whoever said that I think is already at a loss because they're already thinking against themselves. That's like, no, it doesn't, that does not, that's not true. What do
1: you have now that you didn't have actually at like whatever, 25,
2: just the, just the, the want and the need to record it back in the day for me, it was just about being live. I didn't care about going out and recording it. And, for sure, there are MCs that are more, you know, prominent than me that don't want to see me live because I've seen them live. And, you know, you get into that stuff on stage or, listen, I have a friend that's an MC, another friend. His name is Mighty Buddha. Shout out to Mighty Buddha, Fat Cat, Hayes, Shabazz. But this guy is like that good. And there are people that don't want to come across him because when you come across someone that's, and he's an older guy and he's been doing it for a long time. And I think he just keeps getting better. And if I was someone who was young, I wouldn't want to see that because that's right. putting you at a disadvantage. And it is a competition, you know, no matter what anyone says. and But that's what's different about hip-hop, which is why Jay-Z and Nas will not go away because they're that sharp. And, you know, I I hear what you're saying about there's an aspect to the young and the reckless and the, you know, you're young and you're reckless and you're willing to say something that maybe other people aren't willing to say, but that's, you know. I don't I don't agree. Right.
1: Interesting. Um one of my favorite interviews I've ever heard and it's just about writing but it uh it involves hip hop is um Anderson Cooper was hosting a 60 minute segment with Eminem maybe 6 years ago. And he asked him about enunciation. I have the quote in front of me. This is exactly what Eminem said. It's just in the enunciation of it. Like people say that the word orange doesn't rhyme with anything. And that kind of pisses me off because I can think of a lot of things that rhyme with orange. What rhymes with
0: orange? If I'm you're trying, looking, if you're, just, taking, if you're taking, if you're taking the word at face value, and you just say orange, nothing is gonna rhyme with it exactly. If you enunciate it and you make it like more than one syllable, mm-hmm. orange, you could say like, uh, I put my orange four-inch door hinge in storage and ate porridge with George. <laughs> you just have to figure out the, the science to breaking down words and try to... And do you think about this throughout the day?
1: I mean, you're driving along, you think about rhyming words? Yeah, all day. Yeah, I
2: actually drive myself insane with it.
1: Does that touch something in you, or did you kind of feel yeah. that as well?
2: Absolutely, and it's also about saying the word the way you want to. You know, that's what's so great about hip-hop. It's not, you don't need to be grammatically correct. It's about getting your point across, and there's so many people that have said the word wrong pronounced it wrong but it's about the way you use it and words are weapons and yeah that that resonates huge
1: before we continue with two writers slinging yang a quick word from our sponsor hey this is jeff perlman i'm here with my son Emmett. and since mc white i today's guest and 503 sports kings of the throwback sports merchandise is my sponsor. I thought I'd throw down some self generated hippity hop for this ad. Please don't, Dad. It's not Dad. It's MC Pearl Muffler. Please don't, MC Pearl Muffler. It's too late. My name is MC Pearl Muffler, and this is my pod. My sponsor makes jerseys to wear on Yo Bod. See, I went with Yo, not Your. The kids are into the slang. Play up. Do I have permission to drown myself now? So visit five hundred three sports and don't forget the .com. Louisville once had a quarterback named Brian Brom. When I drown myself, I'm going to make sure there's an electrical current running through the water. I'm not taking any chances. You're just jealous of my skills, boy. I want to ask one more thing, which is, um, you know, there've been a lot of songs of late, hip hop songs, sort of taking on Trump, right? And uh, some I like, some I hate. Eminem did a terrible one last year. Some are good though. And um, you know, sort of the power of words and the nuance of words is something I think about a lot. Like Anderson Paak, who's a big guy now, has a song with Ti called "Come Down," came out in 2016. And and uh, there's one lyric it goes, "I fantasize shooting Trump down, a shot for every black man who got gunned down by the police with no conviction, so they run round when we protest, they tell us pipe down." Is it okay to rap about shooting Donald Trump?
2: I mean, you're not supposed to say anything about anything like that but i guess you could say whatever you want right yeah um is it okay i think it's okay to say what you want cause it what it will right speak your mind cause it what it will i think you know is that something that i would want to say no would i feel that way you know for the record i'm gonna i'm gonna take the fifth but right plead the fifth but um me too i i think that There's been a lot heavy. He is not the person to think of that. I don't think. Listen, no idea is original under the sun, but there was a song called I Shot Reagan by nonfiction. Before that, Ice T had cop killer. I mean, think of all the MCs that have said things. NWA, Chuck D, public enemy. I mean, they, 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 Elvis was a hero to most, but he never meant shit to me. He's a straight out racist. Sucker was simple and plain. Fuck him and John Wayne. I mean, there's, I listen. Do I think that we all feel so strongly about certain things at certain times? Yes. And and it hip-hop gives a voice to that. But um, I don't know, man. The older I get, the more I realize that change is going to happen when enough people stand up and say and do. And I think in order to get people to do, first things have to be said. So it's not a bad thing. I actually have no problem with it. I think if you – I mean, you just
1: fight the powers – Freaking the greatest protest song ever written, I think. And it's like you said, motherfuck him and John Wayne. You know, it's like yeah, a very blunt. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to be blunt. Sometimes you just have to be blunt.
2: True. That's true. Yeah.
1: I got to say, you're the favorite. You're, you're by far the the favorite hip hop artist of the Perlman household, as well as the writer of three different Perlman related book <laughs> songs. Uh, that And the, the US of L1, I mean, it's freaking genius, like genius, not just good genius. I didn't know um, it's not, man. Come yes on. Yes, it is. It's so preposterously.
0: USFL, football for a buck. Just another dream. Donald Trump screwed up. The United States. Football league. Drugs. Egos, money, greed, the truth. Why Trump hates the NFL? He's a racist and a bigger than his tickets wouldn't sell a POTUS. And I got more com I got as many
1: comments about that song as I got about the book. And that's not an exaggeration. a great Um well it's a great, uh, well, it's great, a great song. So uh you know. I appreciate, uh, hopefully when I write my, sub, my book one day about like date bread, you'll still be willing to do a, uh,
2: I, I'm still trying to figure out what's on Trump's head. What is that thing?
1: I don't know. It's like a rat mating with it. It's
2: very strange.
1: Woodpecker. It's yes. not presidential at all, is it? No, it is not.
2: It's not. Um, all I could say is listen, for me, I'm a huge hip hop fan. It goes from A to Z. I'm going to tell you my top three right now, though. If you had, oh, if I ahead. had to tell you any. Time anywhere I'm at. Three hip-hop albums you've never heard that you need to hear. Showbiz and AG from Digging in the Crates. Showbiz and AG is the name of the group. Runaway Slave is the album. Three Times Dope, which is a uh, group from part of the Hilltop Hustlers consisting of EST, Chuck Nice, and Woody Wood. And the album is called Original Stylin. And the third one would be anything uh Eric B. and Rakim, honestly.
1: Wait, I just want you to know. I probably never told you this. My first ever hip hop exposure, like my real first hip hop exposure after, uh, after one year in college, I interned at the Nashville, Tennessean and they put us up in the dorms at Tennessee State and we all had a roommate and my roommate was a rapper from Oakland named Sexy Sweat. His name was Sexy Sweat. He wore a construction vest and a, um, and a chain, like a chain link fence chain around his neck. And like we listened that. to, yeah, yeah, no, it was pretty and Timberlands and, um, he would listen to a, There was a rapper named Ant Banks from oh, Oakland. Oh, he's amazing. And he's it was great. I, I remember we would listen to the album Sitting on Something Fat, P-H-A-T, on like an endless loop in the summer of, I think, 93. And that was my, uh, my first close up, close up exposure
2: with Sexy Banks Sweat, Ant Banks. Ant Banks is on a song with, um, Large Professor, Cool G Rap, and somebody else called Money in the Bank, which was on a Cool G Rap album. And Ant Banks, Kills it. He's, he was definitely a talented and slept on individual. And speaking of construction, I just wrote a new one and it's, I tell girls I'm like construction. I always last longer than expected. Plus I'm a lot bigger than you thought when I'm fully erected.
1: <laughs> well, listen, man, I appreciate you doing this so much. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a real Thank honor you, for me. I want to thank today's guest, MC White Owl, for joining me on Two Writers and Yang. You can follow Leow on Twitter, at MC White Owl, and visit his website, mcwhiteowl.com. You can also get his latest album as part of the threesome Sophisticated Savage, where every music is sold. This podcast is sponsored by 503 Sports, kings of the throwback sports merchandise. You visit the website at 503-sports.com. One can listen to Two Writers and Yang on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and reviews are always appreciated. Music is by the Dazzling MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me. And remember, keep riding.